Today from the Global Lane, in London, a four-year-old Christian schoolboy is forced to attend a gay pride parade. No child should have to march around the school for, for you know, sexuality in particular, but against their beliefs as Christians. Persecution rising against Christians and other people of faith. The violations are increasing. This is a, a very difficult time for religious freedom uh, all over the globe. The spiritual impact of the COVID pandemic. Fewer people now reading the Bible, fewer people attending church services. All of this has created a new kind of spirituality in America. Suspended from school for displaying gender facts on a t-shirt. I have been told that my shirt was targeting a protected class. Who is this protected class? Are their feelings more important than my rights? And it's all right here on the Global Lane. Faith and freedom on trial in the UK. A primary school in London compelled a four-year-old Christian boy to participate in an LGBTQ pride event. When the parents sued the school, claiming their religious and parental rights had been violated, a central London court ruled against them. Now they're appealing that decision. Here to explain what happened is Izzy Montague, the mother of the four-year-old boy. Izzy, so Hevers Farm Primary School had this gay pride parade event. What did school officials tell you when you objected to your son's mandatory participation? They said that he would have to attain, that this, this was a celebration of, you know, quite a few things, but... Um, they equated LGBT to be about equality, diversity, and yeah, you know, it, that it's an assembly and every child must attain. I, I mean, that that's a legal thing? Is it, is it the law that says they must attend or how did you respond to it? I mean, absolutely not. I mean, my, my you know, fear was that this was going against the law, that the school should have known that no child should have to march around the school for, for you know, sexuality in particular, but against their beliefs as Christians. I had never heard of, you know, any child being forced to do something against their beliefs. And um, in particular in this school, they, um, you know, seem to have opt-outs for, for many things um, for religious purposes. Um, children didn't have to participate in Easter parades, nativity plays, because on religious grounds. So I presume that this would have been the same thing for this. I did express that we're Christian, we wouldn't be able to take part in this, but they were very adamant and even went to the extent to be calling, you know, parents homophobic, uh, bigots, and it, it was really hostile. It was such a hostile. I've never been in such an environment like that before. It, it became really tense and uncomfortable. And you couldn't opt out from this? They wouldn't allow parents to opt out? You had to go or your son had to attend? He had to go. We had to go to the extent of just, you know, like for many of us, you know, we, we work and we had to go to the extent of taking days off work just to remove our children you know, on that particular day, I think what was quite scary was what might have been happening beforehand because we, you know, they never made a big announcement about this. Um, they put it on a blog. So it's just on a school blog, no letters, no informing parents. Well, what kinds of things did they do at the parade? The judge in this case, Chris Letham, said he didn't see anything contrary to Christian values. 
So there was, like I said, throughout the month, there was this, you know, rainbows and, you know, rainbow flags and, you know, try, like, like I said, like breaking down this gender stereotyping. And so when the children were marching around, they were encouraged to wear colourful clothes, um, you know, and, and other children in different year groups had watched videos of, of you know, um, like people kissing, same-sex kissing. So this march was at the end of that, and it was just to basically bring everything that they had been doing together and basically, you know, encourage the idea of pride parade marches, which is exactly that, singing gay anthems and marching around the school. So it's more than, than just one parade. So why did Judge Lethem rule against you? What did he say about your religious and parental rights? He, he seemed to think, I mean, this school had put posters around the school, Stonewall posters about, you know, I'm gay, get over it. Mum and mum's mum, mum and mum equals love. Dad and dad's boyfriend equals love. He seemed to think that this was all part of, you know, Christian beliefs, that Christians believe in this as well. There's no, there's no difference in what Christians believe in and, and what, you know, this is promoting. I, I had never... It was the first I had ever heard of this. We went through a whole court trial, very much putting our case forward, forward of what we believed in. Um, there was a question that was put towards me um, that I had said in, a, in an email that I had said that I don't believe that people from LGBT backgrounds face the discrimination that they used to do. And therefore, I don't really see if they're at a disadvantage. And he was very angry at me saying that. And he asked me, what do you mean you don't see them at a disadvantage? And I replied that, well, they have all the rights that, you know, that everybody else does. They don't name one right that they don't have. And he was really angry. And he, he even at some points was asking me to apologize and to, to, you know, to take things back. And I just didn't understand why, but obviously now I do. Well, I know that you're, you've got this on an appeal. Uh, keep us posted on what transpires in your case. From London, Izzy Montague, thank you for sharing with us. Thank you for having me. Exposing religious freedom violators worldwide. The United States Commission on International Religious Freedom has just released its 2023 report listing the countries of particular concern and those to keep an eye on. So what have they discovered? Anything new to report this year? Well, joining us is USCIRF Vice Chair, Rabbi Abraham Cooper. Rabbi Cooper, it's good to talk with you again. So overall, do we see religious freedom improvements worldwide or violations of this God-given right increasing? The violations are increasing. The threats, the tensions, and worse are increasing worldwide. This is a, a very difficult time for religious freedom uh, all over the globe. The core right has to be freedom of religion. If you don't have that, then chances are you're in a, in a nation in which overall freedoms the people don't even believe are going to be under assault as well. Well, let's look at a few countries, uh, additional ones that the commission feels are of particular concern. You draw special attention to Iran, and even you put a photo of a young female Iranian protester on the cover of this report. So tell us more, why the special emphasis on Iran this year? Well, uh, uh, the situation in Iran today, I think, is uh, so um, uh, shocking in the following sense that I don't believe that 
any quote-unquote expert anticipated there would be sustained protests against a hated regime that controls every aspect of life led by women. And so religious freedom uh, also means that you have the right not to wear your head covering. Uh, religious freedom means that uh, you can be a Christian and not have to worry about being rounded up, that if you're a member of the Baha'i group, uh, you're already a targeted group as uh, as being blasphemers. And whenever convenient, unfortunately, leadership of the Baha'i are maltreated. You have a situation for the tiny Jewish minority that's left, that uh, in the final day of Passover, there was going to be uh, a march in Tehran uh, that the government wanted that would be anti-Israel. And they basically said uh, you know, to the Jewish community, you should probably close your synagogue that day and join the march. And uh, the rest was you know, perfectly understood. So uh, nonetheless, the reason for the picture of young women on the cover, uh, it's also a reminder to, to all of us that when you're able to put a human face on repression, on the struggle for personal freedom and expression and religious uh, rights, uh, that can be a game changer, especially in the world we live in today that's so dominated by social media. Well, you've also added Sri Lanka to the watch list this year. You already mentioned Cuba and Nicaragua. They're listed as countries of particular concern. That's new. So tell us why. You have the, the targeting of religious minorities uh, in which, uh, because they are in a minority situation, Whatever the goal of the government might be, whether it's territorial or whether it's uh, moving away from basic democratic values, uh, it puts people uh, uh, in harm's way. And when, of course, when you think about Sri Lanka, remember, Gary, it wasn't so long ago, I think, on an Easter morning, right, where there were multiple uh, attacks by terrorists, including at Christians at, at worship. And we would urge everyone to go to the USERF uh, website uh, and read uh, the, all these reports, they're important uh, because uh, the leveraging, and we still have both the moral and uh, economic, political, and geopolitical might to impact on decisions around the world. Well, it, and you had mentioned it isn't just the Christians we're talking about here. Many people of minority faiths also suffer oppression. You mentioned the Uyghurs, and you're a well-known, highly respected Jewish rabbi, so how about anti-Semitism? We know it's increasing in the United States and Europe, but where are Jews suffering the worst treatment? You mentioned Iran, but where else? Well, um, I would say that the unfortunately right now, we look at the situation in Europe where you have uh, historic Jewish communities, some of them re the remnants of the Holocaust era. Uh, era. Uh, when you think about the streets of Berlin, of Paris, of London. Uh, we're in a situation right now in the UK uh, in which uh, the British police don't do very much except count incidents after they happen. And particularly in, in these uh, locations, there's a targeting of people who look Jewish. That means they can be wearing the kippah that I have, or may have a longer beard, side locks, the women will cover their hair and, and dress in a very modest way. Uh, you have these serial attacks by thugs 
uh, in London that are only reported essentially by activists within the Jewish community and very rarely bring about arrests and actions against them. So uh, you have also a situation in Scandinavia, but also in Belgium and other European countries where core religious values to Jews, and by the way, also to Muslims, where you have uh, the banning, what we call shechita, of uh, uh, religious uh, rules that are uh, followed for the slaughter of animals in European countries that are banned. Another area of growing concern is what's called transnational non-state players. So probably the most dangerous place in the world today for Christians is Nigeria, a country that I visited with my good friend, uh, Pastor Johnny Moore. We wrote a book called uh, the, the Next Jihad uh, based on it. Um, in which you have situations where uh, religious leaders are burned to death, where you have Fulani tribesmen coming in and, and destroying uh, villages, where you also have impact from non-state terrorist groups that are influencing events. And our U.S. State Department still does not place Nigeria on the watch list. It is the most infuriating non-development. Um, we need something uh, special to help Nigeria help itself. Nigeria belongs on that list, and they need to take the type of steps to secure the safety and well-being of Christians and, and, uh, and certain segments of the Muslim population to be safe. That is the original, most important human right of all, is to have human life. And uh, another area of concern for us, it should be for every American citizen, whether you're a believer or not, is the use of advanced technology and facial recognition uh, by uh, Communist China's uh, leader, President Xi. I was at a, pro uh, a prayer vigil at the University of Southern California run by Chinese students some months ago, uh, and almost every one of them had their entire faces covered, not because of COVID, but because they knew some of the people in the audience were sending back live feeds back to Beijing. So the challenges are many. If this is an area that the U.S. also pulls back from, then I'm afraid that next year's report will even be uh, more grim. Okay, United States Commission on International Religious Freedom Vice Chair Rabbi Abraham Cooper. Thank you, Rabbi, for joining us. We appreciate you. God bless. We'll see you soon, Gary. God bless you. The U.S. government's COVID-19 public health emergency officially ends May 11th. And now, more than three years after the pandemic began, we're starting to realize how the emergency had an impact on American society. So how has it affected us spiritually? A new poll finds 20% fewer American adults believe that they have a unique God-given calling or purpose in their life. The Cultural Research Center at Arizona Christian University study reveals before the pandemic, 66% embrace that view. Today, it's down to less than half of adults, 46%. We'll hear with Morris pollster George Barna. George, it's always a pleasure talking with you, and this latest finding is troubling. You'd think with so many people locked down and shut in early on in this pandemic that they would have had more time uh, praying, seeking God's purpose for their lives, but this seems like many people are just kind of giving up hope and direction. Is it because authorities shut down their churches? What's the reason? Well, you know, Gary, when we look at, at spirituality in America, one of the things that I've discovered over more than 40 years of studying this 
is that people's beliefs and religious behavior doesn't really change very much very often. And so the dramatic changes that we've seen during this short three-year period of time are indicative of the fact that really the pandemic was a crisis. That's when people's beliefs change, when they're trying to figure out, oh my gosh, maybe I was wrong. How do things work? Who am I? How does life work better than what I'm experiencing now? And so it's really the only time that we see significant or dramatic spiritual change. And I think what's happened is that a lot of people have gone back and questioned some of the beliefs that they held at the start of the pandemic. Their entire life was thrown into confusion by all the government lockdowns and other you know, significant changes that were forced upon them. And there were a lot of other personal crises, whether they were health crises, financial issues that arose, family drama that came out of all of this, all kinds of things that really created pain in people's lives. That's when we change, when we're in pain. Also, there was a significant change in the view of the sanctity of life. Tell us what you found there. Yeah, well, when we looked at that, we found that people were 10 percentage points less likely after the pandemic to say that human life is sacred. It went from an already low 39% to an even lower 29%. So this is one of those things where, again, people are trying to redefine things to make sense of life. And one of the things that I think many people are concluding after the pandemic is, you know, life can't be sacred. And look at what happened during the course of the pandemic. All the lives of people who died, many people who are debilitated for the rest of their life because of it. And so one of their defense mechanisms or one of their conclusions based upon all that is that, yeah, life isn't really sacred. And fewer people described themselves as deeply committed to practicing their faith, fewer are attending church. Tell us what you find, found, George. Uh, why is this happening? Well, in a time of crisis, many people turn to their faith. But what they found here was that, A, churches weren't even open. B, communities of faith weren't meeting together. C, they had no place to turn to get real insight. At least that was their perception. So, you know, many of them went to other options to try to get some kind of wisdom or guidance in the course of these crises that they were facing. And so much of it turned out not to be spiritual, certainly not biblical, if it was spiritual. And so that's created a, a lot of change in terms of not only our religious beliefs as a nation, but even our religious behaviors, where we see fewer people now reading the Bible, fewer people attending church services, fewer people acknowledging their sinfulness and asking God to forgive them. And so all of this has created a new kind of spirituality in America. And I saw a new uh, statistic that one third of pastors say they'll retire by 2030. So overall, what do these findings foreshadow for the country's future? What needs to be done about it? You know, there are a lot of different ways I could answer that. One of those is when we look at the current body of pastors we have in America, most of them do not possess a biblical worldview. If we can bring in a new group of pastors who do possess a biblical worldview, that's going to be to the benefit of Americans and the church and certainly the kingdom of God. 
Okay, pollster George Barna, director of research at the Cultural Research Center at Arizona Christian University. Thank you, George, for taking the time to share your latest findings. We always appreciate you being with us. Thank you, Gary. I appreciate it. A 12-year-old boy attending middle school in Middleborough, Massachusetts, was sent home from school recently for wearing a T-shirt, which teachers complained made some students feel unsafe. The shirt that Liam Morrison wore looked like this one, with five words. There are only two genders. Liam recently told the school board that he refused to remove the shirt because he was only stating facts. I have been told that my shirt was targeting a protected class. Who is this protected class? Are their feelings more important than my rights? I don't complain when I see pride flags and diversity posters hung throughout the school. Do you know why? Because others have a right to their beliefs just as I do. Even at 12 years old, I have my own political opinions and I have a right to express those opinions. Even at school, this right is called the First Amendment to the Constitution. I feel like these adults were telling me that it wasn't okay for me to have an opposing view. Their arguments were weak, in my opinion. I didn't go to school that day to hurt feelings or cause trouble. I have learned a lot from this experience. I learned that a lot of other students share my view. I learned that adults don't always do the right thing or make the right decisions. Liam probably learned more about the adult world that day than he did throughout the entire school year. Yes, Liam, adults make a lot of poor decisions that affect children, like this father in the UK, who has a significant number of followers on TikTok. He's raising his son as a girl. Let's pray he doesn't force the child to undergo life-altering gender reassignment surgery. Folks, I don't understand why any father would want his son to become his daughter or why Western society is now obsessed with children changing their sex. I do know that God loves that little boy and all of us just the way he created us. As we distance ourselves from him, we try to become our own God. Instead of God making us in his image, we create ourselves in our image, the one we have of ourselves. And no matter how much we pretend we are God, we're not. We have never been God, we never will be. Well, that's it today from the Global Lane. Be sure to follow us on the CBN News and NRB channels, social media, and our broadcast affiliates. And until next time, be blessed.